Have you ever wanted to influence others to shift their behaviors, ideas, or actions without playing power trip games? If so, listen for the next hour. Welcome to TFR. This feels right with your host, Joel Silverstone. You'll learn the tools and concepts to influence others with everyone involved maintaining their respect and understanding so it doesn't seem like it's all one way. Now, here is Joel Silverstone. Hey, everyone, and welcome to TFR. This feels right. Uh, We have our first guest with us, Carol Lempert. And before we jump in, we're just going to say hi. So, Carol, how are you feeling today? Hi, good morning. Um, I'm actually feeling really flattered that you think I have something helpful to offer your listeners. So I'm excited for our conversation. Uh, Please, Carol. It is my pleasure, and I know you have something to offer. We definitely look forward to it. So once again, welcome to TFR. I'm your host, Joel Silverstone. And for over 20 years, I've been helping people in business and sometimes in life to be more influential and using their communication skills to accomplish that. Uh, So that means that they're able to speak to the emotions and logic to be able to get others engaged. And emotions, well, that's our first reaction. That's our gut instinct. That's that point where we ask ourselves, does this feel right? Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you are in the right place if you want to learn from leaders, coaches, speakers who are going to be sharing their real-world business examples and perspectives on how they have been able to influence behaviors, ideas, and actions and not be manipulative. Today's show is a really interesting one because we have uh, Carol Lempert and Stefan Morel uh, who bring their uh, uh, background and experience in film, theater, and uh, television about uh, how they are able to influence uh, their audiences and help others to act as a team. Uh, So we're going to be talking about how they can manage our own presence, how they've been able to help others and themselves to influence without acting like the boss. Our first guest today is uh, Carol Lempert. Now, Carol is a sought-after speaker, master facilitator, learning designer, uh, and she specializes in executive presence, storytelling, and presentation presentation skills. You may have uh, seen or heard her being quoted in Forbes, Financial Post, The National Post, or even Reader's Digest. She's also a former professional actress and playwright. And what she does is she helps executives and their leaders on not just what to say, but also how to say it, and uses those skills that she has mastered as an actress and as a playwright and helps others on how they can use those to uh, really generate their presence. So, Carol, uh, welcome to the show again, and I, I know you're flattered, uh, but here's my first question for you, and uh, I would love to know, you know, executive presence. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So I realized several years ago that there is something that actors understand about stage presence that really is at the core of what business people need when they talk about having executive presence. And what I puzzled out is that stage presence has these three dimensions. And I know you have a little bit of acting background yourself, so mm-hmm. I'm curious what you think. But sure. the first is uh, see, the second okay. hear, and the third is feel. So the first, like, see, what do people see? What does the audience see when they look at you or the auditors, you know, when you walk into the room? What yeah. does the audience or the auditors hear during the performance, the words you speak, your ability to make them believable? And perhaps maybe most important, what do they feel after the performance? Or as you, you might say for your show, you know, does this feel right? <laughs> yeah. So in, in business, it's the same. In business, it's the same. 
So let's take that first dimension. What do people see when they look at you? So do they see someone who's overwhelmed, distracted, someone who's unsure about what to do next because there's you know, just so much going on? Or do they see someone who's confident, who's grounded, who's comfortable in their own skin? And uh, my brother, Sheldon, is actually a really great example of this. I, I saw this crazy thing happen. I, I currently live just outside of Manhattan, but originally I'm from Michigan, Oak Park, Michigan. And a few months ago, I went home to visit. Whenever I go home to visit, if I want to see my brother, my brother's a contractor. So there's going to involve at some point a trip to Home Depot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're in Home Depot, and we're standing at the corner of like heating and cooling. And uh, I noticed this guy from way far off uh, across the store, and he's walking in our direction, and he walks by a bunch of people. Some of those people happen to be wearing orange aprons that had big white letters printed on them. <laughs> and he's got a drill in one hand. He's got a bunch of drill bits in the other. And he walks up to my brother and he's like, hey, hey excuse me, man, what, what kind of bit do you think I need to drill into cement? And my brother goes, hey, man, I'm happy to help you, but I don't work here. And the guy uh, says, oh, sorry, you just look like you know what you're doing. Right. So that's partly what presence is. You look like you're the person that knows what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that that's a really good example of, of presence. It's it's feeling comfortable in your own skin uh, and that certain kind of confidence that, as you said, when people look at you. So then, let me ask you this before we we unpack the uh, the the other ones, which was hear and uh, and feel. And see, um, yeah, and feel. Wh- what is what is maybe the preconceived notions of what people think? You know, you worked with a lot of leaders, Carol. So what what's their preconceived notion of what? what they think executive presence should be. Mm -hmm. I often hear when I go in to work with organizations to run sessions on this topic that people are like, yeah, I'm interested in what you have to say, but presence, it's like you're born with it or you're not. Like you're either, there's this idea that it's a charisma. You're either naturally charismatic or you don't happen to be naturally charismatic and you either won the genetic lottery or you didn't. And what I've really enjoyed when I'm working with people is, um, you know, I went to theater school for four years, and one of my teachers in my early year of theater school unpacked something for me, because even once you go to theater school and you have this ambition, you want to be an actor, you you know, you cross your fingers, you hope you're talented, and my acting teacher said it's not about whether you're talented or you're not, it's about your technique, and you practice your technique enough so that it becomes automatic, and when your technique becomes automatic, your technique becomes your talent. And so it's the same thing with presence. When you unpack what these skills are about, how can I show up that people see someone who looks confident? What are the skills of that? What do I Mm -hmm. say that they hear that I'm believable? How can I make them feel really comfortable when they're with me? Those are all skills that can be learned. Yeah, that's... That's really good because I think that I agree. That is the preconceived notions that that leaders... um, almost give up because they say, well, you either got charisma or you don't. And if they don't, then maybe sometimes that's why they become uh, more of, a, of an authority figure. They go, well, I don't have that charisma. I don't have that, that kind of confidence that I think others have. It's something that what you're saying is something that actually can be learned. And it's about mm-hmm. practicing it. It's, and it's also building up your awareness um, of, and I like this, going back to what do people actually see in you? Um, so, uh, are you, <laughs> what, what signals are you giving off when, um, when you're interacting with people? Um, mm-hmm. what, h- how does vulnerability play in that? Mm-hmm. So for me, that goes to the quality of what do people feel mm. in a lot of organizations, um, 
if they're grooming a high potential leader to move to the next level, which is often when this conversation of whether you have or don't have executive presence comes into play mm-hmm. around leadership. So they'll do a 360. And I think those are excellent assessment tools, and you get a tremendous amount of valuable information. You get information at the top level, what your senior executives are observing in you, from your colleagues, from your vendors, from your staff, you know, 360 all the way around. And what that tool provides to a high-potential leader is what do people feel about them? And when I'm talking about executive presence, which layers in this piece of vulnerability for this last dimension, what do people feel? What do people feel about themselves when they're in your presence? Do they feel that you've got their back? Do they feel that they're cared for, that you've made a connection with them? And the way to make connection with another human being is to be authentic and show your own vulnerability. That as a leader, you don't always have to know everything and be 100% right all the time. You have to be willing to develop the people under you. You have to be willing to share credit when they've done a good job. You have to be willing to take a hit for the team when you're talking to your boss above. And you have to be willing to share with your own team the mistakes that you've made. That's the vulnerability that I think you're asking about so Mm -hmm. that your team can learn from you. And so I think that that really is at the core of that third dimension. Yeah, it it just that just creates vulnerability. I think it takes a lot of courage to to have this vulnerability, uh, to decide that you are going to be willing to say, I may not be the smartest person in this room, I may not be the expert, uh, and I'm willing to share credit, I'm willing to share mistakes, goes a long way to creating the trust. And what you said, it's it's not just what you're uh, saying and how you're appearing, but it's how the people feel about themselves. I think that's yeah. <laughs> a swish. I think that's gold. Yeah. yeah. And so when I hear you say that for some people, you have to be brave to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. then that goes back to mindset. I think that you only need to be courageous or brave to be vulnerable if you have a mindset that vulnerability is weakness. Mm-hmm. If you have a mindset that vulnerability is actually human connection, that if I am willing to show my warts and all to you, then you'll reciprocate and you'll be willing to share your warts and all with me, then we have a relationship. That's a for real relationship. If we're all just pretending that we know what we're doing all the time, it becomes sort of a transactional work environment. So I think there's an element of mindset in there too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, speaking of mindset then, the the second one, we we went from seeing to feeling, and we we skipped the second one, which is, let's go back to that, which is about uh, Mm, what what does your audience hear? hear? Yeah, so tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, and audience, um, I'm using that both in the large sense of the world, if you're on the town hall stage, if you're a leader that has to give a presentation, and the small sense of the word, if you're Uh having, like you and I, we're having a one-on-one conversation right now. So what do people hear when they're in conversation with you. So are they hearing, and this goes back to the signals that you referred to before, do they hear warmth in your voice? <laughs> People spend right. so much time on the telephone, so are you, do they hear the smile in your voice when they're having a conversation with you? Do they hear that you're interested, that you're curious about their world, their problems, their point of view, or are you just waiting for their lips to stop moving so that you can get in what you want to say? And it's surprising how interesting people will find you when you're actually interested in them, that you're building relationships with them. So when you're in meeting environments, when you are giving the presentation, do people hear you have energy, that you're committed to your own thoughts and your own ideas? I can't tell you how many presenters I've coached that they'll get Mm -hmm. to the town hall stage to give their presentation and they'll sound like this. 
I'm so excited about the new marketing initiative. I really think it's going to revolutionize the fourth quarter. And so that it could be just they're nervous to present, but that's yeah. a skill-based thing. When I afterward, I'll say, well, did you rehearse? Did you practice before you got on the stage? Or did you think about the fact that you were excited? Oh, no, that hadn't occurred to me. I just, you know, I was working on my slides. So there's right. this element of rehearsal and practice, you know, that from the world of the theater that you can be a bit more congruent with the ideas that you're putting out into the space. People hear the energy that you're bought into your own ideas. And this idea of what people hear, it's important when you're meeting people for the first time, too, like in those networking moments. So um, a few months ago, I go to a lot of networking events for my own business, you know, to find clients. So a few months ago, I was at a networking event. And um, after the, the presentations, there was this time to socialize, meet some new people. And so I approached this woman. She's across the room. She looked really nice. What do people see? She looked approachable. So the first element she had going on. So I go up to her. and Hi, I'm Carol. She says, hi, my name says Joanne on her badge. Hi, I'm Joanne. And so I ask the question that people always ask at networking events, you know, so what do you do? And mm-hmm. she says, I'm entitled. And I go, I'm, I'm sorry, what, what was that? Mm-hmm. I, I'm entitled. And, and again, I'm like, what? I'm sorry, I, what was that? Yeah, yeah. Just as she's about to say for the third time, I'm entitled, what I realize that she's telling me is that she sells title insurance. Oh, but what okay. I heard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what I heard, what you might have heard, is I'm entitled, which right. made me think, yeah, you, you kind of seem a little bit privileged, too. <laughs> <laughs> so then that goes into that third element of presence. What do people feel? What I felt in her presence was stupid. Like, here she's trying to tell me something. I can't even understand what she's trying to tell me because right. she was talking in code. She was talking in a code that she thought that I understood, that I heard what she said, and I didn't. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's part of the, the hearing and, and going back to your example of the, the person who's uh, disjointed with the words they're saying, they are, the, the words are excited, but they're not showing it, uh, is is they expect people to be mind readers. So, you know, they can't they just assume that, that I am excited? Do I have to show that? Uh, and mm-hmm. back to the entitlement, mm-hmm. it's, it's I'm entitled. Everyone knows what title is. It's that mind yeah. reading well, skills. For me, that goes back to the premise of your whole show, which I think is fantastic for your leaders. It's the emotion and the logic. So yeah. what you were just saying, like, shouldn't they know that I'm excited? Can't they see the numbers? Those are exciting numbers. That's the logic. You're only appealing to the cognitive part of the brain of your audience members. But if you're going to do the emotion piece as well, which is your premise, that emotions and logic work together to influence people, we need mm-hmm. to feel it. We need to see it. Yeah, because it's we need those emotions to substantiate the logic because we make a logical decision um, and we're like, okay, and then we, we check our gut instinct. Uh, and as you say, if we're looking at a leader, we're looking at that leader to substantiate that, that gut instinct with that, that smile or that warmth in the voice to go, oh, right, it, this is exciting as opposed to just the logic yeah. he said it was exciting or he or she said it was exciting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll connect the, the language that you're using around gut instinct, with the, which I think is similar to the language I'm using about that third dimension of presence is what do people feel? Mm-hmm. So let's use this example. I'm so excited about the new marketing initiative. In addition to the fact that I don't sound excited, so uh, the audience might be falling asleep, and one of the core things about executive presence is that people are present with you. So if right. you're so boring, they're not paying attention, you've kind of lost on that first metric. <laughs> But also, do I believe you if I hear Mm. that you're bored out of your mind, but you're saying you're excited, the incongruency puts the doubt in my mind. So my gut instinct says to me, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that that person's really excited. And so now that goes to what do I feel about you? If you're my boss and you come to me tomorrow and you say, you know that thing I talked about yesterday on the town hall stage? I'd really love for you to spearhead that project. If you're my boss, I'm going to say yes. 
but I'm going to say yes with a little bit of doubt in our relationship now. It's not going to be my most pressing, high-priority thing to do because now our relationship has suffered because now there's doubt in our relationship. Yeah, and it's not even a conscious decision, right? It's a, it's that subconscious. It's your your spidey sense that's telling you that's telling you that you're you're not as motivated. Had they had the leader not put all those those uh, factors together about the the feeling with the logic. Exactly. Like if you don't even look like you believe in it, why should I believe in it? That, yeah. That's exactly that gut check that you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Carol, this is a, yeah. a, a point. I'm going to switch gears here for a second as, as we're okay. talking about communicating with feeling and and really what is the presence. And uh, I like to do a little a break here. Uh, we like to call it our 60 second improv your communication skills or improve your communication skills. Mm, um, I love and- that. That's for my whole acting <laughs> world. That's great. <laughs> and. Uh, and this will be a good segue after as we will talk about um, how, how people can use uh, theater skills and acting skills uh, to, to uh, boost their presence. Uh, I'm going to take your suggestion. We, we had uh, touch base a, a few days ago, and your suggestion was let's try the exercise of one word at a time. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're, uh, I'll start us off. And so basically I'm going to start off with one word uh, and you have no time to be able to think of the next word. And we're going to try to make sense and we're going to try to create a very brief story here uh, and really be able to listen to each other and collaborate, uh, keeping it obviously clean language. And, uh, and at the <laughs> end, we, <laughs> we should have a, a story, uh, but at the same time, we're just like executive presence. We're, we're on the spot. We're in that spotlight moment. We don't know where this is going to go. Are you ready, Carol? I'm ready. I am okay. ready. Okay. I am a very happy listener because yesterday I went to turn would you say that again to where turn T-U-R-N turn oh in my resume to the boss who <laughs> decided that he is going to promote me? Yay! Yay! <laughs> that was fun. That was. How did you feel? I felt like on the edge of really focused. What's he going to say and how am I going to offer something that builds on what I've just heard? I feel really focused and then kind of energized, sharp. Yeah, yeah. Like you really, um, you know, I mean, I, this is the key about about really listening, I think, is that you, um, uh, the stakes are high uh, yeah. in the sex sector. Yeah. Uh, uh, whether there's an audience listening or not, uh, this, we should always treat the other person as though there is an audience because that other person is your audience and they want to feel respected. Um, mm-hmm. it, and I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking because you don't know where this is going to go. So you really have to trust the other person that they're not going to uh, throw you under the bus. Yeah. And the, the other thing that occurs to me as we're kind of debriefing, just having done it and it was kind of fun to do, is all conversation is improvisation. I mm. don't know the thing you're going to say. And so how do I know the next thing I'm going to say until I hear the thing that you are going to say? It might not be one word at a time. It's actually one, one or two sentences at a time. But conversation is improvisation. So that's why listening is so essential. 
Uh, absolutely. Well, we've got about five minutes left, Carol. And what I'd like to do is um, I want to leave a little bit of time so we could talk about you know where to find uh, more about you. But before that, uh, if you can t- t- give us maybe a couple of tips that you've helped uh, leaders from the world of acting. So we just sort of demonstrated a little improvisation, but maybe share some of your expertise with the, the world of acting and how that's helped leaders. A couple of tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so my, my mental orientation to life is as an actress. I'm an actor. Actress. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm working with an executive that has to give a presentation, we'll start with their PowerPoint deck because there's what you say and there's how you say it. What you say for an actor is the script. How you say it is your performance. So I approach the PowerPoint deck like a playwright. Instead of just sitting down to type or creating an outline, I'll create a storyboard. And this is a technique that comes from Hollywood that kind of bleeds into the theater as well, started with Walt Disney in the 1930s. And we'll use the five-part narrative structure that I know from playwriting, from screenwriting, that makes a compelling presentation to help somebody get their presentation in a place that the audience experiences it like a story. And much as we were just saying that you're doing one word at a time, one sentence at a time, in this case, it's slide to slide to slide to slide. What a story is, is a series of events where people care what's happening next. So that's what a slide deck is. From slide to slide to slide, a series of events we want to care from slide to slide what's happening next. So that's one way. Yes. The other is if I'm getting ready to teach um, or see a client, I think about what role I need to play for them, and then I'll ask them what role they need to play with their people. So, for example, what role might I need to play with a client? Am I their coach? Are they Mm. coming to me because I'm the expert? Are we collaborating on a problem together? Am I the authority and I'm just going to tell them what to do? And so each of us plays different roles in our work. As a leader, sometimes you are the coach. Sometimes you're the collaborator. Sometimes you're the authority and the commander because there's not a lot of time. We've got to do it quickly, and you've got to do what I say because time is of the essence. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk to people about what role are you playing and how can you step into that role in the most believable kind of way. So those are two examples. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, you know, uh, wearing two hats from the, the playwright and the actor's perspective. So looking at the PowerPoint, the PowerPoint is a storyboard. It should flow in the sense that each slide is b- continuing the story and building on that story. It's a, it's a series of events, kind of like what we just did one word at a time, as you said. Uh, and I like this. What role do I need to play to to really give some focus as to what is my what's my intention here as a leader? Am I is this about um, I'm here as the coach i'm here as the collaborator or there's just not a lot of time and and someone has to, someone has to be the the decision maker here someone has to yeah. be the commander as you said um yeah so that's, and I, i'm ahead. sorry go ahead no go ahead uh, so when i'm pushing that idea with a client i'll give an example from actors so if you think about someone like meryl streep for example early in her career she did a film called sophie's choice the character is a holocaust survivor character And there's many scenes in the film where she's trying to make herself small so she won't be caught, she won't be seen. Mm -hmm. So that's a low-presence character. So the role that she's playing is a role where she doesn't want to be seen, low-presence, because presence can scale up or scale down. Later in her career, she played Margaret Thatcher in a film called The Iron Lady or The Iron Woman. Iron Lady. Mm -hmm. No, that's Iron Man is a whole other Mm -hmm. movie. (laughs) Iron Woman. (laughs) Um, And so that's a high-presence character. And even in the film, 
Margaret Thatcher hires a vocal coach to help her deepen the pitch of her voice because she's going to be running for elections against all of these men. How can she sound more authoritative? So thinking about your presence as being something that you can scale up or scale down also has to do with how you're going to show up in your role. So that's another way that presence comes into play. Scale up, scale down. Love it. Carol, where can we learn more about you and, get, and continue to get these insights and tips? Oh, thank you. So the first easy place is I'm on LinkedIn, and mm-hmm. my name is C-A-R-O-L, Carol, L-E, like uh, Edmund, L-E-M-P-E-R-T. And I post things every day on topics like presence, like we've been talking about, storytelling for leaders, how to give better presentations, what your personal brand is. So I just posted a bunch of stuff earlier this week on personal branding. Uh, People can sign up for my newsletter, so they can find me at my website, which again is my name, carollembert.com. And there is uh, an existing resource library of a bunch of articles I've already written on lots of different topics, too. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, so there's a bunch of videos that I've posted about how to look good on camera for your own social media platforms, storytelling for leaders, storytelling for sales. There's some fun stuff. My acting stuff is on there, too. They can check it out. Um, And if people are interested in potentially working with me, they can reach out through my website. I do keynotes. I do workshops. Um, I'm actually flying tomorrow to Brea, California to run a session called Own Your Own Brand Before It Owns You for a Uh. group of women in a diversity inclusion group. So lots of different ways to connect. Uh, sounds sounds great. Sounds like a lot of fun. And so I, I and I'm going to take away again uh, about that executive presence. And correct me if I'm wrong, Carol. It's uh, three things for that executive presence. It's uh, what do people see when they look at you? Uh, what do they hear? Um, and what do they feel? And I like this is how do they actually feel about themselves when they are in your presence as an executive? Is that correct? That's it. Thank you for that. You were listening well. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now, of course, I'm going to be very conscious, as you said, about uh, the, the level of your voice. Is there a smile in your voice? Are you sounding interested? Uh, is there warmth? Are you curious? Because that is a great way to be able to influence people um, and to speak to that. You know, the logic is there. Great. That makes sense. Uh, but to substantiate it, the, even just the, the tone in your voice can go a long way to, as you said, so that it's, it's really uh, lined up and congruent with the, uh, with the message. Mm-hmm. All right, Carol, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, gr- safe travels tomorrow as you go off to, uh, to California to, uh, to share this. Uh, we will take a, yes, you're welcome. We will have a, a little break and then we will be back with uh, Stefan Morel, who is a, an award-winning filmmaker. And he will be sharing with us uh, his uh, perspective on how are you going to be a director uh, on the set. And we often think of the director as the tyrant on the set, but a director actually has to bring people together to act as a team. And I think we'll be uh, pulling off a lot of these ideas of uh, stage presence, of see, hear, and feel. I think we'll definitely go into that. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, everybody, for uh, for listening to uh, Carol Lempert. And again, if you're looking to find her, she is at carollempert, all one word, dot com. Uh, she's got some great resources there, uh, as well as if you want to uh, contact her and share some of those acting insights that can really help uh, leaders in their presence, but also help leaders with their storytelling skills uh, and a lot of uh, new things that Carol's doing around your your social media presence and how you can own your own brand before your brand owns you. 
So I love it. Uh, so once again, this has been TFR. This feels right. Uh, I'm Joel Silverstone, and we will come back in a couple minutes uh, to discuss further with Stefan Morel around this idea of how do you influence others to act as a team. So thank you. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to TFR. This feels right. If you have a question or comment for Joel Silverstone, please send an email to joel at joelsilverstone.com. Again, that's joel at joelsilverstone.com. Now, back to TFR. Welcome back to TFR. This feels right. Before we jump in, uh, we've got our guest here, Stefan Morel. And Stefan, let me just check in with you. And how are you feeling today? Uh, Joel, you told me this was an interview, not a game show, but I love game <laughs> shows. So I'm going to go with uh, right. I feel right for a thousand. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, let's check our board and ding, 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 ding. Yes, that is co the correct answer. Bravo. Uh, well, it's great to have you, and um, we'll uh, share with the audience in a, in just a minute as to uh, uh, you know your background and uh, what the show is going to be about. So once again, I'm your host Joel Silverstone. You are at TFR, and where we talk about uh, emotion and logic to get people engaged, and that emotion is that that gut instinct where we ask ourselves, does this feel right, and that's Substantiates that that logical decision. Uh, so again, uh, we are going to learn from leaders and speakers, and in this case, we have a film director about how they are able to influence others, shift their behaviors, their actions, and ideas without being manipulative. So Stefan Morel is our guest for this uh, second part of the show. Uh, Stefan is a international award-winning documentary filmmaker. Uh, he likes to think of himself. I think of himself as a, I think of him as a storyteller. In fact. You give him a, a camera, uh, a good hat, uh, send him anywhere in the world into the wilds of Mongolia or Patagonia or New York City, and he will come back with a great story that has been captured on film. Uh, and the reason I'm having Stefan on the show is, um, besides being a, a good friend of mine, is uh, I've always been fascinated how Stefan is able to... Um, take people, uh, the team and the crew, on these journeys that he goes when he's making these movies uh, and to get everybody working towards a sense of purpose, uh, really working as a team when they're not doing a traditional uh, filmmaking way of, of doing things. Uh, so I've always been fascinated by that. And also, I'm going to learn more about how, as a documentary filmmaker, is he able to get his guests to be so vulnerable. So, Stefan, uh, thank you again for being on the show. Um, so maybe we can start with that first question, actually, which is, uh, you know, when we think of a director, we think the tyrant on the set. Uh, when did you know or how did you know that if you were going to get everyone to go along with this, the, there had to be a better way the, than, uh, than being the director? First of all, Joel, thank you for that lovely intro. And I have to say, I'd love to meet that Stefan guy. He sounds <laughs> great. Mm -hmm. uh, in many ways, I was born to be a tyrant. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm an only child. And, and with that comes the uh, the romance with being in charge, the idea of being born uh, to be the boss, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the boss of the playground, the boss of my toys, uh, and, uh, and ultimately the boss of others. And uh, sure, that sounds like a great childhood uh, place to be. And well, it doesn't work in the real world. And it certainly doesn't work in the world of filmmaking, and specifically in the world of documentary filmmaking. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I've been uh, a filmmaker as long as I can remember, and by that I mean I was kind of um, uh, telling stories that I didn't know were worthy of being captured on film uh, right. a long time ago. And in doing that, I thought, okay, this is great. This is a very private universe. Uh, it's a world I can be happy to live in. Uh, the only thing that's getting in the way is that to make these stories public, I have to collaborate. Hence, learning that being the boss isn't really the best way to collaborate. Right. You have to listen. Telling stories, the best way to tell the story is to, is to listen, uh, ironically. Uh, there's a there's a paradox there because uh, as certainly in the case of a documentary filmmaker, I, I harvest the stories of others in order to turn them into a story that I think might be of interest to an audience. Mm -hmm. 
the idea of being a tyrant on the set or a dictator or, or bossing people around, uh, it, you know, in theory, it sounds like the only way to go because there's a, someone needs to be in charge of decisions. Someone is both creative and, and practical. Uh, the thing is, you, a man is no island in the in in the filmmaking world. There's it's a collaborative process. You need to depend on each other. You need to be uh, trusting of one another mostly. And as you pointed out in your intro, you need to learn how to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the secret to, um, or rather, the the purpose of that vulnerability is in allowing others to recognize in their leader that. Uh, there's a humanity there. That there's a, a person behind the uh, the structure and and the uh, the the decision making that makes them a real person that they can relate to, mm-hmm. that they can identify with, uh, and then that vulnerability becomes very contagious uh, uh, in in the team where everyone feels like okay. It's safe to expose myself. It's safe to maybe share my ideas. It's uh, safe to contribute to the collective process, uh, which is an artistic one and a, and a practical one. Yeah, you know, I'll just I'll just pick up from what you just said here. I think that's a great way to wrap up uh, the, what you just said, which is this vulnerability becomes contagious. Uh, because it's contagious, people start to feel safe, and because they feel safe. Um, Everybody on the crew starts to feel that they're part of the team and this is a collective idea. And the payoff to you, I'm going to guess, as the director, is that because you're doing a documentary film and you you don't quite have the storyboard laid out, you're not quite sure where it might go. You're you're harvesting the stories, as you say. Um, You might get some great ideas and suggestions. The pressure is not all on you. Now you're you're getting some some different perspectives and insights versus you have to make all the decisions. Is that is that right? That's right. And, you know, to go back to a bit of the evolution of my of my career path, I, I started doing commercials and corporates and music videos and gradually uh, migrated towards documentary filmmaking. And what I discovered uh, was the motivation for that that evolution in, in my uh, artistic uh, sort of pursuits was a very personal development as well. The more I became conscious of the... Uh, value in connecting with others, the more I became curious uh, about others. And that became a kind of mission for me creatively in terms of the kinds of um, ideas I wanted to explore in the world that would uh, be that would resonate with me on a very personal uh, level and obviously as a, on a, an artistic level, but mm-hmm. that I felt were worth sharing. Um, and that could connect with other people and inspire other people. The One of the main ingredients to documentary filmmaking, of course, uh, are interviews, or is, is the interview process. Mm-hmm. And, and interviews, as you know, are conversations first. Yeah, uh, You can show up with a list of questions and have a very um, precise agenda in mind. And if you want to go down that path, well, you'll probably reach an objective that's close to the one that you imagined in your mind, but it's not necessarily the most rewarding, either for you or for the person you're having that conversation with. Because what becomes uh, meaningful in those conversations is what's unexpected. Uh, it's it's the truths that are re- revealed when you least expect them, 
And the way to get there is by agreeing to uh, connect. And to connect, as I was saying before, you need to be vulnerable. And to do that, you need to build trust. Sometimes that takes time. Uh, but it's always worthwhile, the uh, the time that is, and, and allowing uh, the natural progression of a, of a relationship, even if it's in the span of five or 15 minutes during that conversation, you just need to be real from the moment you enter the room. You need to be real before you even enter the room, for that matter. Well, I think, and I think that's that the whole thing about being real and, and vulnerability, you know, and what I'm hearing from you is... Being real and being vulnerable is starts with the mindset that you are parking your ego. Uh, so if you're going to do an interview process, for example, uh, and you just want to follow your agenda, or if you're going to be the director and you want to just follow what, what you've got and you're not open uh, to potentially learning from others. Uh, and as you said, as an interview process is, can be actually meaningful and can be the unexpected. Uh, and I think it it starts with, uh, as a leader or as a director, uh, or even just as a human being in general. If we're able to just park park our own ego, and this isn't about you, this is actually about sharing and learning from each other. Is that you know? Would you, would you agree with that, or what are your thoughts on that? I, I believe it comes down to curiosity. Curiosity is mm-hmm. the key to everything, and it's certainly the key to human uh, sorry to emotional intelligence. If you are curious about the world, uh, it, it implies that you're curious about yourself and, and naturally, by extension, you're curious about others. You can only learn about yourself by uh, allowing others to mirror your own thoughts. Uh, just a very quick sidebar, I spend a lot mm-hmm. of time with animals and they're brilliant mirrors of, of that very phenomenon of if you listen, uh, you, will, you will learn. And so that kind of curiosity is where I always want to take the conversation. Uh, and, and it's true on set and, and it's true in, in, in life. Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 but, but I, and I still believe that you're only going to be curious if you, um, if you check your, your ego at the door and that this is, and I think curiosity comes from that this is, you're open to the idea that you can learn more, that there is, there is more to learn, that you're not, uh, that you're not the expert. And, and I say that because I've, I've worked with enough leaders to see that the ones who have a, a, a closed mindset, who, who feel that they have to be the leader uh, and, and be the authority person in the room uh, and are not really open to ideas or open to growing, that they, they don't have curiosity, they don't really ask questions, uh, and they show very little curiosity. Uh, you know, if I walk onto a set uh, and I'm, whether I'm working with people who, who know me or who don't know me, uh, it's obvious uh, pretty much to everyone that I'm, 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 the, I'm the director. Uh, not because I come in yelling uh, to everyone that, and announcing my presence. Right. <laughs> it's obvious because I care. Uh, I show interest in everyone who's there. I um, meet them with my my energy, but I also connect with them visually. And that is a sign that to everyone in the room that I'm there for them mm-hmm. rather than they being there for me. Well, you've also got that chair that says director, right? And you're wearing the beret and the scarf. And, and the hat. 
and that, right? So the, all those things help to say, oh, here's here comes the director. And the uh, bullhorn. And the bullhorn, perfect. Yeah. Uh, and since you do enjoy horseback riding, if you're wearing the, the riding boots with the pants in there as well, that, that helps. <laughs> I always show up with a whip. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, let's take a, a what I like to call our, our 60-second uh, improv, improve your communication skills uh, break. Uh, and since we're talking a lot about uh, about connecting with others and uh, and caring, uh, I'd like to do a little something here that I we call uh, yes uh, well we'll start with something that's called yes but mm. alright so this is where you have no curiosity uh, so I'm uh, we're going to start it off and the suggestion will be uh, let's, let's, let's make this about you will be uh, pitching ideas for a, uh, a film uh, mm. and I'm, uh, I'm a producer and um, and just to let you know, as you're pitching these ideas, I'm always going to answer with yes, but. Okay. All right. Here we go. Whenever you're ready. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm I'm to pitch my. Idea. Yeah, you pitch your ideas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've got this crazy idea. I want to take a bunch of blind people across the Andes on horseback, and tell their story of a great, wacky, uh, unexpected adventure. Yes, but uh, that's that sounds like an insurance nightmare. Well, <laughs> maybe we could use an insurance company as a sponsor for our project and help finance this film. Uh, yes, but then we really are going to get sidetracked now. It's trying to find an insurance broker that really narrows the field. Um, I, I don't think so. Look, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity to do something that has never been done before. And by experimenting, by uh, taking an adventure, it's, it's, it's an irresistible uh, experience for the people who are involved and the people who are going to experience this as a film. Yes, but uh, it still sounds limited to, to who the audience is. All right, so we'll pause here, and now we're going to switch gears, Stefan. Okay. Uh, now, same. We're going to go back in time. Do 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 do. We're going back in time, and now I'm going to answer everything with yes and. So choice. Did, did, did I pass the yes button? <laughs> we're going to. We're going to. Well, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, we're going to go back, start from the beginning again, and I'm going to. I'm going to be answering with yes and from now on. Sure. Okay. Go ahead. I have uh, an idea for you. I, I want to mm-hmm. make a documentary that features three people who have never even been near a horse before and who, oh, by the way, are blind, and they're going to ride horses through the Andes. Yes, and that sounds like such a, a magical journey of the background uh, uh, and also the the journey that these people are going to go through because they're blind. You've nailed it. It's a journey. It's a personal journey it's a it's a spiritual journey and it's a physical journey there's yes. so many components to this yes and that's that's such a broad audience that's going to enjoy this movie because it's going to speak to so many different people it's 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 in us to to learn about uh, being uncomfortable and 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 finding new new challenges in ourselves well if you think that blind people are willing to take the risk and have the courage to go on such an extraordinary, epic adventure. It can only be an inspirational 
uh, experience. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> yeah, All right. I, I like the yes and. Yeah, for sure. No, nobody likes the yes but person. He's, he's a jerk. Um, how, did, how did you feel when you were hearing yes but? Backed into a corner, I needed to find a way to work around your objections that would somehow still remain true to my intention and my and my passion, yet fit into whatever box you needed it to fit into. But I couldn't quite identify that wa- what that box was because you just kept saying no. That's right. You're not, you're not even hearing yes, but you're not even hearing the yes. You're just hearing no, and you're feeling uh, you're feeling like you're like the, the hamster on the tra- on the. I'm only wheel. hearing no. Yeah, you're only hearing no. How did it feel? You like the yes and what? What did you like about the yes and? Well, it was collaborative. Right. It was supportive, uh, and you were listening to the words I was using. You were listening to the ideas. You were listening to my enthusiasm, and I did the same. And I was able to not only repeat for the sake of repeating to indicate that I'm listening, but actually build on what you were saying. And all of a sudden, the idea that started in my mind as a good one became a great one because we were working together. Yeah, yes, and that's correct. Uh, the, the idea of the yes and improvisation exercise is one of the first rules of, of improv, which is This is yes. fun, by the way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, yes and is, is exactly that. It is about collaboration. And it goes back to the mindset you said of, of when you come on the set, uh, that you're going to come on. Uh, yes, you're the director, but your mindset is about coming on. To, it's about connecting. It's about caring. Uh, it's a yes and mindset. Uh, the yes but mindset is I'm going to say yes, but it's not really where I want it to go. So I'm. I think I, I think I'm saying yes, but all people here say is they hear the no. The yes and mindset is exactly that. It's it's working towards cooperation and collaboration. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, of course, you were just talking about uh, the uh, one of your award-winning films, which is Blind Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have a few minutes left. Can you, uh, you know, maybe just share with us a little bit about about this this journey of of, of Blind Spot? Uh, and you know, let's not worry about influencing others, but I think it is such a great story. If you want to just take a couple of minutes here and just share with us a, a little bit about the background of that movie. Well, I happened to be crossing the Andes on horseback when when the idea came, uh, and I was talking to someone on that trip, and we were discussing how extraordinary a place we were in, and there was just no way to find the right words to to express how profound that experience was. And as we uh, talked about it, I was saying, yeah, it would be great to make a film, but it just seems so so easy. Uh, to, to capture this on, on film because it's so beautiful, I'd like to say something deeper, more meaningful. And that's when the idea of bringing someone who couldn't see what mm-hmm. I was seeing but could experience it in, in, a, in a more tactile or, or, or um, you know, spiritual way and, and find words that were not descriptive of the place but descriptive of the feeling. Yeah, because that 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 really that really is what what comes across. These are uh, you know they're visually impaired, and so um, a lot of the film is about 
well, A, they're going to get out of their comfort zone, as you said, in the yes and. These are pe- people who didn't have had very little to no horseback riding experience. Uh, but is the, the feeling that came across and, and what you felt as well when you were uh, in the Andes Mountains? Well, um, I, I, I did this film for the same reason that I make any film, which is to, to learn, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about myself and to learn about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always, you know, we, we started the conversation talking about being being the boss. The fact is that there's always a reward. Uh, and, and the reward isn't bossing people around. The, the reward is creating something new and going to discovering a new place. Uh, and, and that's what the reward was for me in making that film. Uh, it was learning from people who could experience uh, uh, um, something that I would not be able to uh, express from from the tools that I have available to me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and everyone who participated in the project, uh, in the making of the project, but who also appear on film, and specifically the guides who assisted the, the riders, the, the visually impaired riders, they all were familiar with that place, um, or at least they thought they knew it well until they spent time with someone who hadn't seen it before, who couldn't see it. Right. Yeah. It's it's again that that other perspective uh, that opens opens your um, the uh, just opens you up to uh, to seeing things from a different point of view and um, and as you said, it's how everybody felt in that. Well, the project uh, was all about shifting perspectives. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Steph, with just a couple minutes left, um, where where can we find out more about you? And is there is there somewhere where we can see Blindspot? The first place to find me is at my website, which is stefanmorel.com. It's a easy solution mm-hmm. uh, to find links that will lead to all kinds of projects that I've made over the years, including Blindspot, Moments Unseen, which is the film we've been discussing about uh, the visually impaired writers crossing the Andes. Uh, there's an Instagram, there are Instagram links, there's Vimeo pages, there's Facebook pages, there's LinkedIn pages. Uh, um, hopefully there are no wanted ads, but you can find <laughs> me pretty much just by searching for my name online. And if you come up with a morel mushroom, you're close. Right. But keep keep going. Right, stefanmorel.com, uh, absolutely, to find all the links to see uh, some of the, the films. Uh, currently, your one of your films is playing at a film festival in California? That's right. At the Coronado Island Film Festival, I made a short film about... A sweet little old lady who develops a pen pal correspondence with inner city school children. And she discovers something about herself that uh, she didn't plan uh, to discover. She just thought it would be a nice thing to spend uh, a few hours of her day writing letters to school children. And before you know it, an 85-year-old woman learns a few, few things that she um, didn't anticipate about herself. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. There is, you know, we talked about vulnerability and I think that's such a, a constant theme in, uh, in yourself as a director that you're so willing to share and to connect. But it's also a, a theme that we see uh, that you manage to break out into uh, into the people that are in these movies. And uh, definitely, if one was to describe your your movies, there definitely is the uh, we leave uh, with with a feeling after these films because there is so much vulnerability and so much openness. And well, as you said, well, there's that vulnerability is contagious, makes us feel safe, 
makes us feel intrigued. Stefan, I want to thank you so much for your time today uh, and for sharing um, really a different perspective uh, for, from leadership of being the, the film director is about actually connecting with others as your films do. So I want to thank uh, Carol Lempert, uh, our first guest, who was talking about, you know, a leader should be seeing, how we, hearing and feeling, and Stefan, uh, vulnerability and connecting is so important to the director. So I'm thank you very much. Guy. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to TFR. This feels right. I'm Joel Silverstone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to TFR. This feels right. Please join host Joel Silverstone for another edition next Friday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific time and 10 a.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again soon. 